0: The old Frank Sinatra song, My Way, addresses a question that every one of us asks. Uh, It addresses the question, what is life? And what does it mean to have really lived it? Uh, Here is how Frank Sinatra sings it for us. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I am certain. I have lived a life that's full, I have traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. And he goes on to sing, I have laughed, I have laughed and cried, I have had my fill, my share of losing, and now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing. To think I did all that, and may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, not me, I did it my way. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has nothing. To say the thing he truly feels, and the words of one, are not the words of the one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Mm-hmm. Francis Natra, you see, is saying the meaning of life is living for yourself. That's the point of life. Life is doing it your way, in your own time, and for yourself. And at one level, as we think about that, actually, it does make sense, doesn't it? There's a level at which it makes sense. Because as Francis Sinatra says, what has a man got, if not himself, then he has nothing? You can think of a sin in which that can be true, isn't it? It's certainly true that if a man does not have his life, well, he's dead. He has nothing, right? And of course, there's a sense in which all of us agree with him in the sense that all of us have depended on other people. And we've had people in our lives that have let us down. So we've concluded, well, it's just better to depend on myself. We have concluded the point of life is just hold tight, hang on, and live for yourself. But the problem is that many of us have tried to live the Frank's natural way, to live for my way. And we have found that living for my, my way, in the end, does not fulfill us. It does not fulfill us. It can't be that living for ourselves is the answer. And we know that because we look at many celebrities. You could pick any Tiger Woods, whichever celebrity you can think of. They have tried to live my way, and they found in the end life doesn't satisfy them. But I think for me, there's no better example than Oscar Wilde. Right? If you know Oscar Wilde, Oscar Wilde was a man of unlimited potential. Uh, His plays at the time were popular and him. lots of many and many people have compared him to Shakespeare. And yet Oscar Wilde ended his life broken, miserable, and in prison actually. And here's what he wrote while he was in prison. He said this, I must say to myself that I ruined myself. The gods had given me almost everything but I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. I amused myself with being a man of fashion, a dandy. Perversity became my sphere of passion. I grew careless of the lives of others. I forgot that every little action makes or unmakes a person. I ceased to be lord over myself. I was no longer captain of my soul. I allowed pleasure to dominate me, I have ended in horrible disgrace. It sounds a bit like Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? The way he's saying, I did this. But of course, he ends up in a different place from where the author of Ecclesiastes ends. He says, I have ended in horrible disgrace. Or You see, Oscar Wilde, like everyone else, found that when you get to the top of the pyramid of sin, there's simply nothing there. In the end, living for ourselves is not what life is all about. It actually leads to death inside, even before we die. It's quite ironic, actually, when they sing that song, My Way, at funerals. Because we really is a proclamation of death at a funeral. A spiritual death at a funeral. I wonder, what about you, though? What is life to you? That's the question I want us to explore this evening. I want you to think about this question. What is the point of life? And my my, my goal this evening is to help you not only know the correct answer, because some of you probably already know the correct answer to that, but to encourage you to live out the implications of that correct answer. (coughs) And the answer to the question is found in Mark 12, verse 28 to verse 34. Jesus, as we've been going through Mark, you've seen that Jesus is in this final week, week of his life, is in the temple in Jerusalem. It is a Tuesday of Passion Week, right? The religious leaders have been trying to kill Jesus by finding first a reason to trap him. And so they have been coming up with also some questions. And this morning, we saw the Sadducees have their turn to ask a question. That ridiculous question about a man who had, well, a, a woman who had seven husbands. Actually, one just one dying after the other, so to speak. And Jesus dealt with that very well in verse 18 to verse 27. Now, Mark tells us that one of the scribes has listened to Jesus' response, perhaps to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And so he comes with a question of his own. Let's look at the question in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and had them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Now, the scribe, we assume a scribe of the Pharisees, but it could be a scribe of the Sadducees. A scribe has studied all 613 laws in the Torah, and he wants Jesus to help him decide what law best captures what God requires from each one of us. If you could pick one, which one best summarizes, captures the principle of what God requires of us? He's looking at his life and he wants to know, what should my life be really about? What is one thing you can tell me that would define what my life should be about? What commandment captures the purpose God has placed me here? And maybe you're sitting here this evening, you're asking that question. And Jesus sees the question is sincere. When he looks at this man, when he's discussing with this man, he, he sees he's sincere. So he moves immediately, not to answer him with a question, but to give him the answer. And he gives him the answer in verse 29 to verse 31. He says this, Jesus answered, The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor and yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The answer that Jesus gives there, and his conclusion in verse 34, uh, teaches us three important truths about, that answers this question. What is life about? And Jesus would say, first of all, life is about loving God with our lives. Life is about loving God with our lives. You see, all of life is about loving and loving surrendering our lives to God, not merely just parts of our lives, bits of it, here and there. No, it's waving a white flag of surrender. All of our lives should be a love note to God. That's what he says there, isn't it? Verse 29. And Jesus answered, the most important is, here our Israel, he's quoting the Shema here, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is exclusively one. There is no other besides Him. He's not referring so much to the singularity of God, but simply because God, of course, is three in one. He's referring to the fact that there's none beside Him, there's none beside Yahweh. And they study, you shall love the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The key word there, you can't miss it, is the word all, oh, right? double F, right? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Uh, We are to love God, as I said, not with parts, but our whole life. And Jesus previously in his interactions with the Herodians and the Pharisees, which we looked at last week actually, Jesus makes it clear that we are to give God what he is due. That's what we said when we look at God and government. In our words, God is your Creator and deserves all of you. Jesus is just coming back to that theme. He says, He deserves your heart, He deserves your soul, He deserves your mind, He deserves your strength, He deserves your understanding. What are these things capturing? Well these things are capturing your physical life, your thought life, your affections, your emotions, your will, everything that you value, including your possession. All of you, you are to love God with this. With all of you. Jesus is saying, the fulfilled life, the life that lives as God intends, is one centered and planted family on God. It lives and breathes God. Not only because God is what we are created Four, we find our purpose in God, but because in loving God, we are yielding ourselves to receive his love. Isn't that what John says in 1 John 4, verse 19? We love because he first loved us. Charles Orgin says this, The soul of a man has a capacity for happiness which nothing in the world can possibly fill. The animal is satisfied. Its capacity for happiness is here fully provided for. But the soul of the man has aspirations to which nothing in this life corresponds. It longs for fellowship with what is far above itself, what is boundless and eternal. Charles Rogers is, of course, agreeing with Jesus, isn't he? He's saying a truly fulfilling life is an upward life living in union with God. We find our purpose. In loving him. Life is about loving God with our very lives. It is a life that. Life is about surrendering to God. And delighting in him alone. That's the first truth Jesus teaches us here. The second truth Jesus teaches us here. About what life is about. Is this. Is that life is about loving God. With our relationships. That's the second truth. So first life is about loving God with our lives. The second truth is that life is about loving God. With our relationships. Love for God, when you have love for God in your heart, always results in loving people he has created. We cannot love God without loving him with our human relationships. You know, I remember once going to preach at a local church in Watford, and after the service, I got into conversation with a single man there. Who really wanted to get married, right? I just preached, and she wanted to have a conversation about that. And I asked her, you know, what sort of man are you looking for, right? She said, Pastor, I want to marry a godly man who will love my children and look after them. That was the answer. Then she added, of course, despairingly, but there are no men in this church. (laughs) She thought I had the answer somehow. She was asking whether we had any men. I said, what should I do? I started looking around to see where the, um, the pastor was to see if he could come and help answer this one. It wasn't addressed in the sermon. Now, it would be strange though if this godly woman that loves Jesus simply wanted a man who loves her alone and does not care where this man loves her children. It wouldn't make any sense, would it? Loving her means loving the two children she has brought into this world. And it's the same with God. Loving God means loving his creatures, the human beings he has brought into this world. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse 31 there. He says, The second commandment is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. In verse 33, the scribe actually agrees with this, doesn't he? He says this in verse 33 And to love him with all our heart, and with all understanding, and with all our strength, and he has. To love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So Jesus has quoted the second commandment, actually, which is from Leviticus 19, verse 18. And the scribe agrees that loving God means loving him with our human relationships. And we are to love, as Jesus says there, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? Well, the parable of the Good Samaritan answers that question quickly, doesn't it? Uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us that our neighbor is anyone, anyone we come into contact with, even people who do not mean well for us. And Jesus is saying, we must love others as we love ourselves, we must love whoever we come into contact with as we love ourselves. Now, some hear this And foolishly tell us, it means that Jesus is giving us three commandments. There are people who read this and conclude, no, even though Jesus says there are only two, actually there are three. We have to love God, love yourself, and love others, right? They will have us believe that what Jesus means is that we cannot love others, listen to me, we cannot love others, they say, until we love ourselves, right? Now, of course, that's not what Jesus is saying. Because that is the way the world thinks. That is worldly thinking. I'm thinking, for example, Ariana Grande's recent uh, Big It song where she chronicles her recovery from various broken relationships she, had, she has had. And she goes through a list of all these ex-boyfriends that she has had, and then she tells the world that she has now found a new love. And as you're listening to the song, you're thinking, what new love has Ariana now found? Well, her new love, she says is that she's now in love with herself. And this is a new relationship. And she believes it will last. Here is just Ari in her words. Just a little bit of Ari for you this evening. She says this in her song. I met someone else. We are having better discussions. I know they say I move on too fast, but this relationship is going to last. Because her name is Ari, Ariana. And I am so good with her, she says. She taught me love. She taught me patience. She handles pain. That stuff is amazing. I've loved and lost, but that's not what I see, because look what I've found. And no need for searching, and for that I say, thank you. Next. The the tune is a bit catchy. But you get the idea, don't you? I'm not saying you should listen to it, but it is catchy. You won't miss it when you go to the supermarket. The the, the world's biggest idea is self-love, isn't it? But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus means the opposite. Jesus, When Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus is saying we are to die to self by putting others first. By dying to self, but listen, but dying to self does not mean self-hatred. You know, we are not monks here sort of just trying to kill ourselves and pitying ourselves. No, no, no. Listen, the irony, the, the, the paradox is this. We are to die to self, but you see, Our sacrifice for others only has value if we have a healthy biblical dose of self-love, to put it that way. A healthy dose. Because you see, dying to self is yielding what we value for us and then giving it to others. Jesus is saying, life is about loving God in such a way that you yield the things that are precious in your life. You yield them to others. Right? You put them first with those things. But you are giving them to others, not because they are useless, right? because you value them as well. And Jesus is saying that a fulfilled life cannot happen where there is no pouring out of ourselves, the emptying out of ourselves and giving it to others. Why is that? Why is that? Why can we not be fulfilled unless we are loving others? Well, because we are never more like God who made us and serves us in Jesus than when we are laying down our lives for others. It's that simple. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18 says this. First John 3, verse 16 to 18 says this. By this we know love, that he laid down, that is Jesus, his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, every human being longs not only to be loved by others, but also to be able to give love to others. All of us know that without love, life is ultimately pointless. But now we have a problem here, don't we? If the point of life is loving God with all our being and loving God with our relationships, then we have a huge problem here. The problem is the word all. (laughs) And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Is there anyone here that just ticks this out? I do this every moment. Tip, tip, tip. Oh, I've got it all figured. Of course not. This is a problem. The problem here is that no one truly does this. And, and, and the thing that puzzles me as I've been reading this text is that Peter is nowhere to be seen I love Peter in Mark because Peter is asking the question I'm asking right? and this is just where I need him you know, I need him to come in and say Jesus no no no, no. this is too hard you can't. how do we do this but he's nowhere to be seen perhaps he's worried about the Sanhedrin uh, who are sort of marshalling around Jesus at the moment and so he's plotting an exit but we don't know but he's not there or perhaps he knows the answer already He knows it is impossible to live a fulfilled life. That's the answer. It is impossible to live a fulfilled life except through Jesus. And that brings us to the final observation from our Lord Jesus in this passage. The final observation is this. Life, the third point, is about loving God in Jesus. What is life about? Well, the first point is loving God with our lives. The second point is is that it's loving God with our relationship. And the third point is that life is about loving God in Jesus. You know, one of my favorite actors is the late Robin Williams. And one of his best performances is the movie Jack. Right? You may have watched Jack. You know, in Jack, he stars as a boy who suffers from an unusual aging disorder in the film Jack. And this disorder he has means that Jack ages four times faster than a normal human being. And as a result, Jack starts school for the first time looking 40 years old. I'm 40, yeah, he's looking like me. Just imagine there, I'm going with my daughter. (laughs) Reception, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's terrible. But he starts there looking 40, right? And there is a fascinating scene towards the end of the film, film Jack, where Jack um, is looking like a 70-year-old, right? At the age of 18 years old. And he arrives at the graduation ceremony and is given the honor of delivering the end-of-year student speech. And if you're watching that film, here is what Jack says. He says, I don't have very much time, so I'll make it quick. Like my life, you know, as we come to the end of these phase of our lives, we find ourselves trying to remember the good times and trying to forget the bad times. And we find ourselves thinking about the future we start to worry thinking, what am I gonna do? Where am I gonna be in 10 years time? But I say to you, hey, look at me. Please don't worry so much. Because in the end, none of us are very long on this earth. Life is fleeting, and if if you're ever distressed, cast your eyes to the sky when the stars are strung across the velvet night. And when a shooting star streaks through the blackness, Turning night into day, make a wish, and think of me. Make your life spectacular. I know I did. And shortly thereafter in the film, Jack dies. And as we are watching that film, we remember, of course, Jack has supposedly lived a spectacular life. And then we are left to ask the question, as we should always do when we watch films of any kind is, what is the point? What is Hollywood trying to communicate to us? And the message of the film Jack is very simple. Life is a wish we may not have. So rather than look to others to make your life meaningful, Hollywood tells us, just try and make your life as spectacular as possible in the little time you have in this world. Look to yourself to make things happen. At this point, Hollywood. Now he's singing from the Frank Sinatra page, from the Ariana Grande page, and many other pages. He's saying, Look to yourself to make life happen. And as I thought about that film, Jack, I realized, and I was reading this in, in this passage in Mark, I thought, This seems to be the attitude of the scribe, actually. Did you notice that after Jesus gives him the answer, the scribe is very enthusiastic? He is. Look at verse 32. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as yourself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. It is wonderful, and we are told in verse 34, Jesus already answered wisely. It's a wonderful answer. He's enthusiastic. But the problem is, that is all where it ends. Because the final sentence of this 34 is troubling. It looks okay, like Jesus has defeated everyone, but it's there to make us pause and think. Look at what he says. Jesus says, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus, has just said, a truly fulfilled and morally perfect life, loves God and others perfectly. And we are just screaming for the scribe now to go one step further and ask Jesus, how do we get this? How do we get it? How can we live like this? Because what Jesus has just said disqualifies everyone listening and us, including the scribe. There's only one person there who fulfills that. It is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who has to ever truly love God as he should. So we are screaming, we are expecting the scribe to say, come on, ask him, how do we get in? All right? And Jesus has given him an opening, have you seen that? He said to him, you are not far, you are not in, you are not far from the kingdom of God. It's an opening there. You should ask, okay, I'm close, but how can I be in? Yeah? That's why you should be asking. But he doesn't ask. Why? Because he does not recognize that he cannot keep the commandments. He's got knowledge, but he doesn't know how to keep them. He needs to ask Jesus how to enter the kingdom, but he doesn't. And if he asks Jesus, Jesus would tell him that he must take up the cross, Mark eight, verse thirty-four. He must take up the cross and follow him. Or he, Jesus would respond as he responded to the rich young ruler, Master, how can I inherit eternal life? He Says, Well, sell everything and come and follow me. And, and, and he might say, oh, that's impossible. Then Jesus would say, well, with God, everything is possible. It doesn't depend on you, it depends on you. If you had asked the question, Jesus would say, ha, thank you you asked that you can enter the kingdom. Because remember, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. Do you remember what it says? Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming what? The good news of God. The gospel of God. And saying what? The Kairos moment is now. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God, which Jesus is talking about here, is at hand. How do we get into the kingdom? Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God, we've been learning in Mark, is a person. And his name is Jesus. The kingdom of God is God appearing in person in the person of Jesus. If you like, life in the king, life is really about loving God and we love God by surrendering to, to King Jesus. Life is about loving God and loving God in, is loving God in his kingdom that comes to us through Jesus. We love God not in our power but through King Jesus. So, so if you're a follower of Jesus, you're looking at this The first thing you should do, how do we put what Jesus just said into practice? The first thing is to thank Jesus. Thank God that you know life in Jesus. Thank God that you have life in Jesus and that you are standing in Jesus. If you have come to that position of truly surrendering your life to Jesus, you are the point of life. You know the point of life. And the point of life is Jesus of Nazareth. You know, sometimes, we, as I like to say, we forget just how amazing being a follower of Jesus is. We forget that. You have something that Ariana Grande wants, what Beyonce wants, what Alice wants, what Brian Cox wants. You have something that Boris Johnson is looking for in his life. You have something that Dawking desperately desires. You know the purpose and meaning of life. And the purpose and meaning of life is... Life is about loving God and we love God in Jesus and Jesus alone. You have it if you are trusting in Jesus this evening. Life is loving God with your whole being and your relationship and Jesus has ticked it for you and he has not just ticked the box for you he has now given you the capacity now to grow in loving God and loving others. You see, those who are truly converted grow in loving God and loving others. Right? God has poured his love in our hearts and through Jesus, Paul tells us, he gives us this new capacity to love him. And as Jesus says, this love for God spills out to others. Beloved, Jesus did not come to die on the bloody cross to make us nicer people. He came to radically and eternally transform us. He comes to give us a new spiritual DNA that now enables us to relate to God as our Father. And to love our Father by loving people he has placed around us. If you are trusting Jesus today, having thanked God for all of that, right? Come before Jesus approached this evening. Repent of areas where you are refusing to love God as you should. Or where you are not growing faster enough. Ask God, just, Lord, show me where I am not growing in loving you. And this starts with asking God to help us love others, those people who are in familiar relationships. You know, those relationships which are immediate to us. I think that's where we need to start, actually. Some of us like to start far away. Start where you, you are. Ask God to help you love the people he has placed around you. You know, those relationships around immediate to us actually are a relationship where we don't really love as we should. Because we take advantage of people God has placed in our lives. You know, it is easy not to be deeply loving to our wives. Just take them for granted. It is easy not to be loving to husbands, children, parents, brothers and sisters in Christ who we see every day. You know, it passes me that some people like to love people who are far away. (laughs) And they're incapable of loving people closer to them. Right? It is sadly true. We can show more affection to people outside our church, outside our families, than we show to our own family members. I've seen people who are very, very nice on a Sunday, but they are not loving their wives at all. We must repent of this if we belong to Christ. We must not take for granted those familiar relationships. In this case, charity really... Love does begin at home, right? But let's also ask God to deepen our love for Him in unfamiliar relationships, because that's the context of Leviticus 19. By the way, if you ever just go, get, get home, read Leviticus 19, verse 18, and then just look at the verses that surround it, which says, you know, we are to love others as we love us, as you love your neighbors, you love yourself. Just read around the context of that, and what you discover is that. The commands really gives us pointers of how that love looks like already. When you read the surrounding verses, it talks about caring for the poor, orphans, travelers. God wants us to express love to the vulnerable. He talks about that. So this evening, ask God to grow your love for him in those areas. and ask God to grow your love also in difficult relationships, some of the relationships you have. Ask God, Lord, I want to love you with my difficult relationships. There are people in your life that get on your names, right? Or perhaps they have hurt you and abused you in the past. Again, the context of Leviticus 19:18 talks about the importance of forgiving each other, not slandering, not stealing from each other, right? Time and other things. It talks about the importance of justice. In other words, when Jesus says we must love our neighbors, it means loving God with justice for others. And this may mean standing up for a colleague being bullied at work or writing to your MP about the issue of abortion or or, or human trafficking. It may mean emailing a TV channel about the demeaning portrayal of women uh, in a particular program. If you are loving you do that. It might be suggesting to your supermarket that they shouldn't sell certain soft pornography novels or something. It might mean you volunteering your time to help one of the local charities because you love God, not because it gets you to heaven, but because Jesus has ticked the box for you and it is your thank you to him to live out that love. So ask God to help you grow in loving him by deepening your desire also to preach the good news of Jesus to yourself. Often I just Sometimes when I'm preaching on love, I just say, look, you want to love your neighbor? <laughs> I am not convinced you are loving your neighbor if you don't share the gospel with him. I don't care if you walk their dog or you do the cat thing with them or you go to their children's party. If they have never heard the word Jesus on your lips to them, you hate them. So we must take those things seriously. The gospel becomes important. Of course, we must share the gospel sensitively and we must not do it in our own strength. But we must realize that the best gift this Christmas you can come in Christmas I've already started thinking about Christmas the best gift you can think this Christmas is tell somebody about Jesus, don't worry about this present you keep buying for others just pray for an opportunity to share Jesus, that is the gift they need to hear Jesus Oh, buy the gift if it helps you talk about Jesus <laughs> uh, buy me a gift <laughs> no, no, no 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 but seriously Jesus is why they, they need to uh, that, that's what they need to hear right and we shouldn't do this in our strength. We should ask God to help us. We should, because, because if we do it in our strength, we are just wasting time. Hi. Hi. And there will be moments in which we struggle to love God, in which we struggle to love others, as we are all struggling, but we can ask God for new energy to do that. We can ask him for opportunities to love and show his love to others. You know the point of life. That's the point I'm making. And the point of life is to love God with our whole being and to love God with our relationships. And we can only do this in Jesus. And if you're trusting in Jesus this evening, God can grow your love. So look to him to help you do that. Amen.